From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting-edge technology, and the colored shavings. Well, welcome back, everyone, to The Dairy Show, and a special welcome to Ken McCarty of McCarty Family Farms, who is our guest this week. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Thanks for having me on. So, Ken, I'm going to have you start by describing what dairy and agriculture looks like in your area, because you guys are located in northwest Kansas, and I'm thinking a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with that part of the country. <laughs> yeah, no, not a lot of people come out to visit northwest Kansas. It's uh, it's a little bit of a desolate area. But uh, uh, I'm originally from northeastern Pennsylvania, so the, the agriculture in northwest Kansas uh, is is vastly different than what I was born and raised in. You know, I was born and raised on a 150 cow tie stall um, pipeline barn. And in the late 90s, my family uh, moved to Western Kansas, to Northwest Kansas specifically, to uh, provide my brothers and I some opportunity for expansion and, uh, and for growth. And uh, when we moved out here, you know, we were very accustomed to hills and trees and, and rivers and lakes and, and all those sort of things. And we moved to the land of essentially wide open plains, lots of wind, uh, and, and in our eyes, what was large agriculture, you know, large feedlots, large row crop operations, um, you know, large dairies. And the scale of agriculture where we're at just absolutely blew our mind. You know, we were used to uh, very small, small fields, uh, small roads, small equipment. And uh, uh, when we moved out here, our eyes were open to to the scale of, the, of what big ag could be. And how does McCarty Family Farms fit into that picture of big agriculture today? Yeah, so when we moved to Northwest Kansas, uh, we started out, you know, relatively small for for Western dairies. We started out milking about 800 cows, uh, and we steadily grew throughout the years. Uh, today, uh, McCarty Family Farms in the West uh, is composed of four different dairy farms, uh, three in Western Kansas and one in Southwest Nebraska, and we're also uh, partners in a farm in West Central Ohio. Total milking herd size, including the farm in Ohio, would be about 13,000 milking cows. Uh, total herd size, all said and done, would be about 26,000 total head. Uh, we farm right around 5,000 acres of ground and um, have about a 2,000 head heifer yard uh, on site, and the remainder of the young stock are, are raised off site. So, um, Keeps us relatively busy, and I should add that we have a, an on-farm evaporative milk condensing plant on one of the dairies as well. So we stay we stay pretty busy and uh, uh, never a dull moment usually. Yeah, busy sounds like it. So uh, dairy farmers listen to this podcast. So explain a little bit more about the facilities that you guys operate within. What what do those look like? Yeah, so uh, the majority of our cows are housed in traditional four-row uh, sand-bedded freestall barns, uh, all flush barns. Uh, we flush using recycled gray water. Uh, we do have some of our cows housed in open lots, but by and large, it's a pretty small percentage. Um, most of the parlors are parallel style uh, parlors ranging in size from double 25s to a double 35. Uh, one of the farms does have a, uh, at least one of the farms here in Kansas has a 60 stall rotary. 
Um, the the farm in Ohio is is relatively unique. Uh, it's a it's a new design, still a sand bedded flush freestall barn, but uh, it's what would be called an inverted six row, where the feed lanes are actually on the outside of the barn. They're tunnel ventilated, so the interior of the barn is is two pens basically divided by the center line of beds. Uh, Tremendous for cow comfort, tremendous for mitigating uh, the effects of weather, um, and and what we would view is is just a great environment to raise cows in. That's an interesting layout. Yeah, definitely not one you normally see. So, which one? Since you have different types, what is the favorite facility to work within, or the easiest to manage cows in? <laughs> Well, because I live in Northwest Kansas, I don't I don't get the opportunity to to work in Ohio all that much. But I can tell you when it's 20 below zero with 30 mile an hour wind gusts here in, in Northwest Kansas, I would much rather be working inside the uh, inside the barns at, at Ohio. And I really think that that's the uh, that's the future of of the housing for our cattle. Um, but how and when we get there, who knows? But it's it's just a great way to it's a great way to work on a dairy and it's a great way to to house cows. Sure. So the facility in Ohio, if I remember reading correctly, you guys also built a learning center with that. Tell me more about that part of the farm. Yeah. So you know we've always really tried to be engaged with our local communities. Uh, really tried to always be engaged with the consuming public. Um, you know, in the West, uh, we host on a normal year. Uh, we would host in the ballpark of three to five thousand uh, people a year through through our farms. Um, and when we moved to Ohio, we we recognized that it was a, a much more densely populated area uh, that maybe wasn't quite as accustomed to to large dairies. And as such, we felt it was really important that we put our best face forward and that we be as as open and transparent to the public. In Ohio, as we are here in the West, and we thought it was important that that we open the doors up and do our best to to tell our story, but also tell the story of uh, the dairy industry and the ag industry in general. And um, so, when we opened that farm in November of 2018, uh, we opened the Dairy Learning Center with it as well. And uh, prior to to this year, you know, we were we were on track to host many thousands of people through that and it's just been a great tool for us to be able to tell our story to tell the the story uh of of partners that have helped us get to where we're at today partners like d laval like ves uh like validus like select sires like eco practices so on and so forth and uh to not only tell our story but to tell their story and to also tell the story of of our customer all of our milk, whether it be from the West or, or in Ohio, uh, ends up in a cup of Dan and yogurt. So uh, as part of our responsibility to that relationship and to, to that brand that we're tied to, we felt that it was, it was necessary that we, uh, that we have something like the Learning Center on our farm. Sure. So tell me more about the partnership with Dan because it's pretty unique um, with what you guys are doing. Yeah. So, you know, we were we were when we moved to Kansas, we were selling our milk in the traditional co-op model. Um, and we always had a desire to 
to mitigate the volatility that was coming into uh, the commodity markets, whether that be the corn and, and protein markets or the milk market. And we had a desire to have a, a deeper understanding and a deeper connection with where our product ultimately ended up. And uh, so we began to search for some, some different avenues to try to achieve those things and ultimately ended up having a, a, a rather faithful meeting with the Dan and Milk procurement team. And they, they happened to be searching for a lot of the same things that we were searching for reduced volatility, greater connection for them to the source of their products, uh, the ability to, to work on and collaborate on things that were important to both parties, things like animal welfare and environmental sustainability, uh, milk quality, um, all those sort of things uh, we were able to achieve through this type of relationship. So it was, it was great in concept, you know, uh, that, was, that was in April of 2010. But obviously, the devil's in the details, and it takes a little while to bring all that all that concept to fruition. And uh, it, it took actually two years, in fact, to do that. So um, two years from that that meeting, we uh, we shipped our first load of condensed skim milk uh, to Dana. And since that time, uh, we've we've steadily grown within the relationship. Our our cows have gotten better, our farms have gotten better, and and I would. Uh, I would venture to say that our relationship with with the North America has gotten better. Wow. So, okay. So you said you shipped condensed milk and you've mentioned the evaporated milk condensing plant on the farm. How does that function within your system or what is the end product that you're then actually shipping? Right. So given where we live uh, and for those of your listeners who have been through Western Kansas, Northwest Kansas, they'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, we're, we're halfway to everywhere and we're halfway to nowhere. So, um, for us to effectively, uh, get our product to where Dana needed it, we needed to figure out a way to reduce that freight expense. Uh, so we look for ways to condense our milk. So what happens is we produce raw milk on our, on the four dairies in the West. Uh, that raw milk, uh, is hauled to the, to the condensing plant. Uh, we separate the cream from the skim portion, and then we condense the skim portion. And uh, that plant was designed to process about a half a million pounds of raw milk a day. Uh, today, through the efforts of the plant team um, and in and, and working with Dannon and their plant teams, we've been able to increase processing capacity to just shy of 700,000 pounds of, of raw milk processed a day. Uh, but as we've grown in our our farms have gotten better and our cows have gotten better and, and our teams have gotten better. And, and honestly, we've gotten better as, as dairy managers. Uh, today, we're, we're outpacing uh, the processing capacity of our plant by, by a few loads of milk a day. So that, that ends up at uh, an outside uh, evaporative condensing plant that, that does the same process that we do. And ultimately, that milk still ends up within the, within the greater Denone network. Okay, so it's still staying in the the company, but you guys are not processing it then. Right, right. Yep. So the skim milk is going to Dan in. Where does the cream go then? Because that's still you know a commodity at the end of the day too. Right, right. And a portion of the cream goes to Dan in as well, and some of the the remaining cream goes to grassland to be converted into non GMO butter. 
And I should add that one of the other things that, that we felt was really important about the having that evaporative condensing plant on site was uh, the environmental benefits, not only in the, the reduced freight of uh, fewer trucks on the road, but we our farm sit atop the Ogallala Aquifer, which is a declining groundwater source. And uh, Western Kansas, as well as, as a number of, of other states, uh, the irrigators in those states are, are heavily dependent upon that water source. And uh, having the on-farm evaporative condensing plant allows us to today reclaim in the ballpark of about 65,000 gallons of, of water a day that offsets a tremendous amount of, uh, of water that we would otherwise be pulling from the aquifer. So it's a, it's a win, win, win for everybody. Yeah, that's really, really cool. That's a fun way to recycle water on a farm or reclaim water, I guess. So I was watching your past virtual farm tour that you did at World Air Expo a handful of years ago, and you had mentioned that the milk marketing in this agreement is done through a cost plus model. Can you explain what that is or how that functions? Because obviously it's a little different than traditional milk marketing. Sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, you're right in that it is is somewhat non-traditional. And in essence, it's it sounds exactly like what what you described it as. Uh, we're in a direct supply relationship in a cost plus model. So um, all of our milk is dedicated to uh, Denone North America to end up in the products that they so choose. And for that, uh, we we have a a guaranteed margin above and beyond our cost of production. And uh, the that that's that's the model in simplistic terms, but you know the the real foundational principles of the, of our entire relationship uh, depend on a few things. You know, primarily trust. We have to have faith in them, and they have to have faith in in us as suppliers. Uh, and transparency. You know, we have to be our our model is built upon open and honest communication with one another. Uh, and as such, they have a much deeper understanding of how my farm operates, uh, the struggles and the challenges and the opportunities that I face on farm. And, and we have learned and, and now much better understand uh, the challenges and the opportunities and, and what they're striving to achieve. And as such, you know, I think we can, we can really unlock a lot of doors that hopefully can make their business better and make our business better in the, in the dairy industry uh, in general better. So some of that transparency, I'm assuming, is coming through some of the certification that you guys are doing. And I believe I was told earlier that um, you just became recently certified through B Corp. And obviously, you guys are still with Dairy Cares and the Non-GMO Project and Farm, um, which dairy producers are pretty familiar with. But why do you do all these or how do they fit all together that you're in so many different programs? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of answers to that question, but at the end of the day, you know, we just feel that, uh, you know, as dairymen, we have a responsibility uh, to the industry. We have a responsibility to, you know, the, the the team members that we go to work with every day. We have a responsibility to our customer. We have a responsibility to the next generation to try to build a a business model and a and, and a a business family culture that is is founded upon accountability to causes greater than ourselves. And, you know, uh, our, our first uh, 
adventure into the third party auditing realm, uh, dealt with the, the validus animal welfare audits. Um, and as we went through that and we really understood what they were searching for and we began to put a lot of that work in there, uh, we said, well, hey, you know, why not go another step further? So we participated in the validus environmental care audits. And then as we continue to try to find ways to bring better training opportunities or more training opportunities to our team members and uh, more checks and balances within our farms, we looked at the BQA program. And so we embarked upon that. And then we said, well, hey, why don't we go another step beyond that? And we went to the Validus on-farm security audits. And then, you know, with all the practices and, and protocols and procedures that we had in place around our, uh, our, our teams, we said, well, why don't we look at becoming Validus Worker Care certified as well? And then, uh, then as Dan said, hey, you know, we're going to become a B Corp. We said, well, shoot, you know, the whole concept of B Corp is, is, is using your business for a power or using your business as a power for good. And we thought, you know, hey, that's, that's kind of our mantra as well. So let's do that too. And, um, you know, then with, with some things that have happened uh, within the dairy industry, we thought, you know, we're doing all these steps already. Um, why don't we become farm certified as well? It just makes sense. We're doing it anyway. So um, a lot of it's just kind of happened organically. And, uh, you know, we've got, we've got great partners that help us achieve all those things. Uh, we've got great team members that, oh, that, you know, live live and die by by the standards that we put forth and really believe in the culture that we're trying to develop and um you know we've got great leadership in in dan and in a lot of those things that that has helped us uh helped us achieve a lot of those things so um it's it sounds bigger than what it is uh it does take a lot of work to achieve all those things and maintain all those things but uh it's it's certainly not insurmountable and we we simply believe that it's it's the right thing to do for for our business for the next generation for for our customer and and ultimately for for all the stakeholders that touch our touch our farms every day. So speaking of the next generation, you mentioned in the farm tour uh, that you guys were kind of in the middle of succession planning and transitioning uh, back in 2012. Tell me about that process for you guys. What was it like, and where does it maybe sit today? If you're able to share that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, um, my parents were pretty, pretty progressive when it came to um, preparing themselves and the farms uh, and my brothers and I for that transfer to us. Uh, and they still, my mom and dad still live on the original dairy uh, in, in Rexford, Kansas. And um, uh, my dad still hounds us about, you know, working harder and doing more and being more aggressive and, you know, all that jazz. But, uh, you know, my brothers and I have all have children uh, at varying ages, ranging in age from soon to be 21 to soon to be the youngest is, is soon to be four. So uh, that that presents some challenges on how we how we prepare for uh, what could be the next generation. And uh 
we have the the legal documentation, we have the legal framework, all of those things are done and in place. Um, it's really the nitty gritty details of um, do does the next generation of of McCarty's the fifth generation want to or fifth generation that could be involved in the dairy uh, do they want to come back um, where where is their passion where is their area of interest and and where do they want to uh, what do they want to have as their area of expertise uh, and that's the one fortunate thing that that we've uh, witnessed as we've gotten bigger uh, and more diverse you know. Our kids have the ability to come back and not necessarily be a herdsman, you know, not necessarily be uh, driving a feed tractor or or running a shovel, you know, how we grew up and um, and how we started in the dairy industry. Uh, but you know, they can come back and and be an accountant or be involved in communications or go to vet school or you know, there's the opportunities that that we can present to our kids are are um, different than necessarily the opportunities that were presented to my brothers and I. Um, but whether or not they choose to come back is ultimately their decision. And, um, we'll, we'll deal with that bridge when it, uh, when we cross it. But, uh, my brothers and I are having a lot of those conversations as we speak about, about just what is the right way to bring back the next generation and how do we, how do we set them up for success and uh, the farms for success um, while also making sure that uh, that that they don't get frustrated and they don't get burned out and that that um, they don't end up having a bad experience that pushes them away or pushes the the next one that thought about coming back away so there's a lot to that thought process but the, the foundation and the framework is in place. And, and again, the devil's in the details. We just need to figure out a few few little odds and ends. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone who's going through that now or is looking at starting to do succession planning? Uh, you know, the the thing that my brothers and I have found, um, well, and, and I should say my parents as well, you know, having, having clear clear and common goals can make a lot of the other details, a lot of the little nitpicky things much easier to overcome. You know, my brothers and I are all, all driven by continuous improvement, all driven by becoming more efficient and better stewardship and improving our cow herds and providing opportunities for our team members and for the next generation and, and ultimately on, on growth. And, when we have those core values aligned, a lot of the other details uh, can be worked out pretty simply. Um, and you know, hey, we've we've really been benefited by having some great external help. Uh, you know, great uh, legal advisors, great accountants that have helped us on those path uh, along that path, and given us examples of other groups that have have succeeded in this as well. So I guess the advice would be don't sweat the small stuff and uh, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. 
That's that's great advice. So we're actually going to switch gears for a second because we have to talk about the cows that are at McCarty Family Farms, <laughs> naturally. And you guys are actually the U.S.'s largest registered Holstein herd, which I find fascinating. So tell me about that. Why do you register and what's the, the goal of the breeding program in doing so? Yeah, so, um, you know, way back in the day, uh, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, uh, they both were registered herds. Uh, my dad uh, started his his uh, his farm um, as a registered dairy, and eventually moved to grade. Um, and you know, as we as we were looking for ways to bring bring valuable outside viewpoints to the table and bring uh, value to our farms and to our cows. Um, and also, uh, you know, look for look for areas of, of additional opportunity. We we tossed around the idea of becoming registered, and um, you know, we had been out of that game for so long. It was it was a pretty new concept for us. And my brother Clay he started the conversations with the Holstein Association, and they were phenomenal at. Kind of helping us understand what it meant, what it looked like cost-wise, what it looked like from a from a, an additional work point of view, and and talk through a lot of the value that they felt that they could bring to to my family and our farms, and it just made a ton of sense to us. So we started down that path, um, and and I can honestly say that we've not been disappointed ever. Um, they've they they've just been phenomenal partners uh and just brought so much value to our farms and our breeding strategies and uh, helped us parse through what what can be kind of overwhelming reams of of genetic data uh, and and really i think helped us become better and uh, you know our goals for that are you know pretty simple number one just make a better cow every day um, you know, and a better cow for us is is a more uh, profitable cow, a healthier cow, a more sustainable cow, um, a cow that that lasts an extra lactation, breeds back easily. You know, um, we're not we're not pursuing um, expo winners. You know, um, hey, I love going to expo and I love good cattle, and I'm just I'm just blown away by the quality of cattle that are there, uh, but we have a different strategy in mind. You know, we breed for moderate frame, um, highly efficient, highly productive cattle. And uh, uh, the Holstein Association helps us sharpen that focus and helps us um, dig through all of our genomic data and make sure that we're, we're putting, putting our cows in the right bucket in terms of breeding strategy. And uh, they've They've worked so well with with the other partners that we've brought to the table there, uh, namely Select Sires and, and Neogen. And, um, you know, when we put put those three groups at the table, um, it's it's just really exciting to see what can come out of those conversations. So how are you currently utilizing genomics on the farm? All of our heifer calves are tested at birth. And then we utilize that data to uh, to, number one, make breeding decisions. Uh, we, through our work with the Holstein Association, they identify the, the top 100 heifers that are born every month, and those get placed into a different breeding pool. Uh, we work with select sires on their next-gen program. 
Um, we do have our first heifer at Transova. She's actually being flushed today uh, for the second time. And uh, so the goal there being that hey, we identify the very, very best of our herd. Uh, we push the, the, you know, the tip of the, the genetic bell curve spear uh, out farther and faster. Um, but then we also work with the Holstein Association and Neogen to identify what would be, you know, viewed as the, the bottom end uh, of our genetic bell curve. And uh, we actively market those animals uh, as, as dairy heifers. Right now, we're, we're marketing some of those excess heifers as uh, shortbreads. Uh, with a long-term goal being to make a, uh, make that identification and that that marketing decision, you know, at as young an age as as is feasible. So we've got a great partner in our calf raiser. Uh, our calves are raised offsite at a third party, uh, and we've got a great partner in our heifer raiser, and uh, they've they've worked really well with us in in making sure that we have clear visibility to health data. Uh, because obviously genetics is only part of the equation, right? You know, and uh, so we, we try to take a full circle view of what animals are not the ideal animal to bring back to our, our herd. And uh, genetics is is a piece of that puzzle. Sure. So we're coming up to the close here. So I want to ask one last question. And that is you guys are doing so many different things on your farms and you're really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of innovation and, and finding your niche and your place. But what does the future of dairy as a whole look like in where you're sitting today in your seat? Yeah. So, you know, I think the, uh, I think the trend toward consolidation is going to continue. Um, you know, market conditions seem to be dictating that. Uh, but, you know, I, I really think that, uh, the driving force behind success in the dairy industry is, is um, and stealing a dairy term here, the cream's going to rise to the top. And I, I think that uh, the best farms, regardless of scale, will stay in business. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's always going to be a place for those high-end genetic herds. I think there's always going to be a place for the large-scale commodity producer. Um I think there's there's hopefully going to always be a place for McCarty family farms if and only if you do it the right way, you know, um, that I think is is going to be the 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 key to success in the future is uh, is is being responsible to things outside of just purely profitability. So. That would be that would be my my prediction. I think the consumers are working to demand that. I think uh, uh, milk buying companies are working to demand that. And uh, you know, I think the there's there's a lot of eyes on the dairy industry. So there there's no place currently, and there will there will be no place moving forward for bad operators. Yeah, well, we'll have to pull this interview back up in about 25 years and see uh, if you if you called it right today. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. My crystal ball can be a little bit cloudy at times, but time will tell. So can everybody else's. So, hey, we're all in it together. But right. uh, I appreciate the time today, Ken. Uh, this has been great. Hopefully all of our listeners have enjoyed it as well. But, uh, yeah, thanks for being a part of it. No, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to talking again soon. And hopefully we'll, we'll see everyone together at uh, Madison this year. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 